0: We are in the second week of a series called Messy, and the reason we wanted to talk about this is we wanted to talk about our faith in light of how we live this out and and what gets messy in our faith in terms of um, how we understand it, and especially the way we see it. It's messy from our perspective. So when we talk about grace or sanctification or understanding God, like sometimes there's a messy element to it, and I want you to understand, it's not because it's on God's side it's messy, um, it's not necessarily messy or unclear for him. Uh, it's messy because we're involved. Everybody with me? You know, we're, we're involved, so it becomes messy. Uh, and so we're going to even look more about that today. But um, that's kind of the, the the idea of this series: is how do we see the how do we see us the way God sees us? How do we position ourselves to have a clear understanding of of the mess and the messy, and how to work and navigate through that versus our attempt. To navigate and manage our sin or manage the mess uh, sometimes in a messy in our lives. And so uh, how many of you have heard this, the 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 old statement, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? How many you have heard that before, right? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I want you to know that's a true statement, all right? It's a true statement, uh, but we talked a little bit about this last week, and so I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to it. It comes from a verse, verses like this um, where it says in Romans 3, everyone has sinned and we all fall short. Of God's glorious standard. So we get this in a statement like that. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And 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 the identity is that we're a sinner and therefore we sin. And so, you know, something like this is there. I mean, I've I've studied the Greek. The Greek for everyone means everyone. The Greek for all means all, right? So we're all in we all encompass this phrase, right? We're all we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard, but then follow the verse where it again speaks the truth, yet God, but God in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He freely gives us righteousness. He makes us right with God in His sight. He does this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. We gave you the three big topics, or three big theological understandings last week of justification, sanctification, and glorification. And uh, again, you'll have to go back and listen to it, but we didn't spend a lot of time just we don't we understand justification as our salvation. He makes us right with God. We know glorification is when we're going to go to be with Him in heaven or He's going to return, and we live out our kind of glorified life and glorified bodies for eternity. But where we get stuck is where we live, and where we live is sanctification. And where we live is in, the me- is in the middle, and it's the messy part. So here's what was coined. Uh, I don't even know who did it, but this is kind of the way I help people understand it. It's the already but not yet messy middle right? It's the already but not yet. We live in our faith in such a way that everything has been given to us by God. Everything's been poured out uh, in, in its fullness for you and for me to live a life of godliness like he's given it all to us, but yet we don't necessarily not yet able to experience all of it. Why? Because We have an old sin nature. We have an old sin nature that wasn't cut away. It it still exists. It's at war with us. It's at war with our mind. And so again, last week, not that I, you know, you need to go back and listen to it if you want to follow along with where we are, but um, that's the messy middle. That's why it's messy for us to really even understand our own how God sees us in grace in terms of a saint and a holy one of God that, yes, still sins, but, but is now called an heir with Christ, is now a part of his family, sons and daughters of God. And so last week I basically said, if you think that our mess is messy, where do you start dealing with other people's messy, right? Like, like, like it's one thing to even understand it for yourself, which is true. Like we have to work through that process. But man, it's another thing when you start rubbing shoulders and elbows with all bunch of bunch of messy people, right? Like it it, it can be a challenge. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What does it look like to be okay with and to bring your mess uh, with you? Like what is it what does it look like to live that out in light of how we're who we are in terms of God sees us and how we're supposed to live out the life he's called us to? We're gonna be looking a lot at the second letter uh, to Corinth in Corinthians. And so if you've got your scripture card, it's in front of you, in the chairs. This is for you. This is all the scripture we're going to be looking at today, and this is for you to take home and read maybe later on, but um, this can help you kind of follow along a little bit this morning. The one that's in green is the one that we're going to read together, so it won't be on the screen, especially for those who are online. It won't be on the screen, but we'll be reading it together in our own versions of God's Word. Um, we'll be looking a lot at 2 Corinthians, but let's look. Let's start here, This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5. This verse actually is a part of the mission and vision of our church. This is where we get the mission and vision of journey in terms of absolute hope and seeing our friends' lives changed by absolute hope. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Again, we spent a lot of time last week talking about this new person, this new creation, this new life that begins because of Christ. All of it is a gift from God. It's the absolute hope that he gives us through Jesus. Brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So what this means is that, you know, the moment you became a follower of Christ, you were given a job, right? And you, by the way, you didn't apply for this job, it was just given to you, okay? This is something that you got no matter what. So you were given a job, you became a part of, of the task of helping reconcile people to to him. And it goes on to say, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He gave us the, this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's part of the message of reconciliation is we have forgiveness of sin. And so we are Christ's ambassadors. Right? God's making his appeal through us, through the messy, through us, through this tension, through who we are. We speak for Christ when we plead come back to God. When we share with others, come back to God. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Once again, just kind of of boiling down that message, that beautiful message of hope for us. Now, this is the tension that we live in, right? Because we are now God's ambassadors. He chose to use us, messy humans, Right? Messy people to share and to shine the light and to share the hope of the world with other people. That's now our task. That's now our job is to, is to share that, is to, is to kind of shine uh, that out. And sometimes I think about this illustration. This has always been a good one for me, uh, is the moon. All right. Now, I apologize if this goes a little eighth grade science on you, but just for a few seconds. All right. Uh, I don't know if you had to see, see the moon last night. Um, it was beautiful, uh, but I know it was a little cloudy in some spaces because the, the front had just moved through, uh, but I, I get here really early on Sunday mornings, and so this morning, I don't know, I, I say morning, but it was still dark, like midnight, so it was dark 30 when I got up and drove here, but it was beautiful, and it was shining in the sky, and, and, and what I love about the moon is that the moon really does outshine everything in the sky. night like it outshines every star Doesn't matter how they're twinkling or whatever like it outshines everything and and it's so bright but did you know okay did you know the moon doesn't actually have any ability to shine right like in and of itself it has absolutely no ability to put off any light whatsoever because it's that's not what the moon is that's not how the moon is made and yet, the moon can be the brightest thing. Like, I don't know about you guys, but on a full moon, like my wife and I, the way our bedroom sits in the house, like, like on a full moon night, like it's so bright, it comes through the blinds, like it lights up the room, right? Like, it, th- that's what it is. And yet, this is just this ugly, dark ball of dirt is all it is. It's a dark gray, powdery, rocky, jagged, just, just ball of dirt. Y'all with me? Like, if you ever saw the moon, st- like, you know, ever watched the old stuff with the moon stuff? Like, astronauts talked about it. They were like, you know, the, the, the moon dust would catch on everything. It was, it was jaggedy, you know, it was rigid. It was kind of, it was almost like glass, and it kind of wore down boots and, and, and their clothes. Like, they couldn't go out for too long because it would, it would actually start tearing apart some of the fabric. Like, that's what it is. And that stuff that's on the moon, that moon dust, or we recall, is called lunar regolith. That's the stuff that it's called, this five meters deep of this lunar regolith, this powdery dust, if you will, and, and, it's, and it is a reflective surface for the entire Moon.? Right? Meaning that the way the moon has been designed, the way the moon we see the moon, is that the moon itself can't light anything, but the moon perfectly reflects the Sun. Like it per, it's perfectly in position to reflect, you know, not the direct sun, because again, I don't know, can't remember how many billions or whatever the miles that the sun is, right? But like, like from on the other side of the world from us, where the sun is, the moon is able to catch some of those rays and reflect that back. And again, it outshines everything and it's nothing but a big ball of dirt. It's nothing. And what's funny is, it, you know, so it reminds me of like a mirror, right? Let me look at my, my mirror here. Hold on. Um, it kind of shines like a mirror, right? Because it's glass and all that stuff. So I don't want to blind anybody real quick. Hold on. Let me make sure I get this right. So it's kind of like a mirror. If you kind of see it light up the sides here, it's made to reflect. It's perfectly designed that way, to reflect light because of where it's positioned. And what's interesting about that for me, again, when I start looking at Scripture like this, when it talks about, us, kind of being the reconcilers and the ambassadors of God and sort of shining out this light to him, it reminds me that, that we really again, God made us, designed us perfectly to reflect. He designed us perfectly to reflect something. The question is, what are we reflecting? Like this mirror? It, like our, our souls have been designed to reflect whatever we surround ourselves with, whatever we're facing, whatever we're pointing towards. Matter of fact, this is, we're going to read this part together. This is from 2 Corinthians 3. If you want to turn in your Bible or your Bible app, whatever you have, we're going to read this together. And I'm going to have you uh, say one of the words out loud, so make sure you got your Bible in front of you so you're following along. We're going to pick up in verse 12. But here's how, again, Paul is describing this to God's people, to the church. In verse 12, he says this, since this new way gives us such confidence. What new way? He's talking about the new life in Christ, the new creation that we are in him. He says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. This is a small history lesson for uh, the people in the church at that time, especially for the Greeks, that Moses had an encounter with God And it lit him up. I mean, it was like—I mean, our version of it would be like radiation or something. Like it lit him up, and so he actually put a veil. It freaked everybody out, so he had to put a veil over his face so people wouldn't, wouldn't get you know distracted by the glory of God. He didn't even see God's face. He just saw like God pass by him, like he just literally his backside or lower part of the back. Who knows? Like just just kind of passed him and lit Moses up. And so he's, he's using this example of, you know, Moses had to cover his face with a veil, even though the glory was going to fade. He still had to cover it up. And it says, but the people's minds, this is verse 14, the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds. So they cannot understand the truth. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the veil and they do not understand. And then verse 16 says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, right, whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can now see and, what's the word, say it out loud, and reflect Every one of us now can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That's another great verse to just highlight sanctification. (laughs) If you ever want to know what sanctification really does mean, it's that verse. It's, It's us becoming more and more like Christ, being transformed to become more and more like Jesus. But put that verse up one more time for me, Tony. Now, all basically because this veil is now removed, we get to see and experience, fully experience the glory of God, what even Moses couldn't fully do. We get to see and experience, but then because we get to see and experience it, we now get to reflect it, right? We, we, get, to, we get to shine that out and reflect that as we are ambassadors for Christ and we're sharing this message of reconciliation with the world, and he makes us more and more like him. But here's the reality. The majority of Christians don't feel like we're, you're getting made more and more like him. Most of the people I talk to are just struggling how to be a good Christian. Just struggling with what to do next. How to, how to kind of work this. And so, has anybody ever heard the term, fake it till you make it? Right? Fake it till you make it? Okay. I, you know, I understand it has some, some, some context to it. But here's the problem that I see with, with, with modern Western sort of church culture and Christianity is, somebody took that terminology, like fake it till you make it, and brought it into the church, brought it into people's spiritual growth. And the problem was, is that we started faking it, and we, we never made it anywhere, all right? So instead of reflecting, instead of, instead of the way in which we were designed, we just tried to figure out how to do church, like, we figured out some of the, some of the language. I, you can't see the stickers too well, so i put them up on the screen for you. You know, we learned some of the language. Like, Well, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. How about you? Like, I, I, I love Jesus. Like, I know, I know what to say. What would Jesus do? Right? I know all these things. And then we begin to learn, you know, what I call cliché phrases. We begin to learn little statements that, you know, what would Jesus do? And Jesus saves, you know? And, and, and we believe that's true, but, you know, like, th- th- you could just throw that anywhere. Well, Jesus wins. Hashtag love wins, right? Jesus saves. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, let go and let God. How many ever heard that one? Right? Faith over fear. How many heard that one? Right? Oh, we can throw all these out because we can learn the language and we can learn what's sort of expected in church color- cultures. You know, well, we just got to have faith. Just a little bit more faith. Faith over fear. You know, got to let go and let God. But it's superficial. It, it, it's, it's a facade. Sometimes we get missional, you know, like the, the one over here, it says, love God, love God and love people. And, and then you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Cause you've come to journey. You're going to hear about that. Like, we got to love people, man. And you're just like, oh, I tried I forgot that part. I got to remember that at work and in traffic and with my spouse and even my kids, you know, and with my family, extended family, like I got to love God, but I got to love people too. Right. Prayer, prayer is important. You come around church culture, you're gonna understand prayer is important. You may not want to ever pray in front of somebody, but you know, you know, you know to say that prayer is important. You know how big a deal prayer is. Well, I hope you pray for it. You know, would you help pray for this? We're gonna have 21 days of prayer between uh, now. We're starting in a couple of weeks. We're gonna be launching 21 days of prayer between now and Easter. Maybe you're already praying and fasting for Lent, which is great. But you know, prayer is a big deal. You got to pray just to make it today. You guys with me? Like that's that's a big deal. You you know, you you learn that in church culture. Or you can even learn some of the doctrine. You can learn some of the words and what they mean in terms of grace. Well, Matt's talking about grace right now. You know, Matt's talking about grace in this series. Woo, we all need grace. Thank you, Jesus for grace. Hashtag grace. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag thankful. Right? But, But even with all the language and even with understanding some of the terms and even with this, you do understand how insignificant this is. It's not reflecting anything. It's just a few things of knowledge. It's just a few words. It's a bumper sticker faith is what I call it. It really doesn't reflect anything. But we are far too scared to turn this around and be authentic to who we really are. We're far too scared to really turn this around and and, and let people see us. And yet that's strange to me because here's the way Paul... I want you to see this as well. Here's the way Paul describes this to the, again, to the church in Corinth. He's trying to help them understand that there's, he gets this, okay? He, he goes on to say, look, we didn't go around preaching about ourselves. You know, he's talking to the church like, hey, we, me and the guys, we didn't go around preaching about who we are. We, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we ourselves are just servants. Like we're just the helpers. We're just the help. We, we, didn't, we didn't focus on us. You know, they weren't trying to, to, to share their bumper sticker faith. They just like, no, we're just talked about Jesus. We, we preached that Jesus was Lord and that we are just now his servants. And then he said this. God said, let there be light in the darkness. And he made the light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God. And we've seen the face of Jesus. That's, that goes back to seeing, like, we got to experience and see God for who he is. And then he says... But now we have this light shining in our hearts. Even think about that word reflecting. We ourselves are fragile clay jars. We ourselves are just fragile clay jars, which contains this great treasure. And it makes it clear that what's coming out is from God, right? What comes out is from God and not from us. Listen, I I want you to understand that I get it. Listen, one of the reasons that we don't want people to see who we really are is because, and I know some of you, this is type A, is just killing you right now. Okay, I understand. Is because, yeah, it's because the fingerprints of our humanity are all over us. Right? Like the smudges and the fingerprints. I know there's like three of you who want to go clean this thing so bad. Okay, just wait. Just wait. This is, this is one of the reasons that you don't really want people to, to see you. It's because they're going to see all of this. They're going to see your judgmental heart. They're going to see your selfish attitude. They might see your pride. They might see your greed and your discontent. Like they might actually see the humanity, actually see the old man that shows up in your life every once in a while. So we don't want people to see this. Another thing we really don't want people to see, especially for, you know, I say some of us, but it's all of us, because some of us have decisions we've made in the past. Some of them are big. Some of them are situations we got ourselves in the sin and mess of our life. And some of us, we wear them like a stain. Like we say we're past it, we say we're over it, like maybe we are living out some consequences of some of the decisions we've made or things we've been, experiences we've had in our life, but but they stain us. They, they, They kind of mark us, if you will. And you're worried that if you if you attempt to reflect God's glory that, 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 and live out this, this, this thing we're designed to do, like, but people are going to see that. And people are going to judge you because you know how judgmental you are, so you know people are going to judge you, right? So this is one of the big reasons many of us don't, don't want to do this. This is easier. This is so much easier for us to manage and maintain. Some of us, And I apologize for anyone who's super uh, superstitious in the room. Sorry. Some of us wear our brokenness and our scars. See, it could have been a, a decision you made in your life. It could have been how you were raised, an experience that was placed on you. It could have been abuse. It could have been decisions that other people made, but you wear the brokenness in your life. You wear it. And it brings about shame and guilt. And, and you know you're not supposed to wear that shame and guilt, so you don't even want people to see the shame and the guilt, let alone what's actually broken in your life. Again, it's so much easier to do this. It's just so much easier to pull this off and to navigate this and to manage this. But here's what we know is true. Here's a statement I like to give people sometimes. We are not representing our mess to other people. We are representing, you are representing the grace of God at work in your mess. Like, don't confuse the fact that you're not, you're, not, you're not representing your brokenness to other people, but unless you are honest and authentic and real about the brokenness in your life, you can't show people the grace of God at work in your brokenness. Like, it's the only way to do it. This reflects nothing. This reflects Nothing. We can say that, oh, we're all a hot mess, hashtag blessed, hashtag grace. We can say it, but there's no power there. It's it's only when we are willing to bring our mess. It's only when we're willing to, yes, let people see it, but to position ourselves in such a way that what we really want to show people is the grace of God at work in our mess. And look, you can see all the X's and the and the, the smudges and the breaks, but look, it's nothing compared to the power of what we reflect. You can still see it just as clear as you did before. It's no match for God's power and glory that wants to shine through you. This is no match your brokenness, your stains, your guilt, your shame, your mess is no match for what you have the ability to reflect in your life because of God. Here's some of the verses I use to remind myself of this. I read this last week or mentioned it. There is no condemnation to those who belong in Christ. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no condemnation. Who, Romans 8 is a great one to go back and read the whole thing because it continues to go, who can be your accuser if God has made you right? Who, who, who stands a chance? And he goes on to say, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that leads to death. The power that comes from God leads us there. This is a great one from the message from David. David, I don't have the time to preach on David, but David messed up his life. I mean, David had some huge breaks and stains and things in his mess. And, And in the midst of his healing, you know, I love this phrase where he says, God, you made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before you. You are the one who made everything work even when I brought my brokenness and the pieces of my life back. To you. Here's how the psalmist says it as well. He said, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sin, He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Why? His unfailing love towards those who fear Him, who follow Him, is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. That's his love for you. He goes on to say that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is a father to his children. He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him, who respect him, who follow him. And he knows how weak you are. And he remembers that you're only, say the word out loud, yeah, guess who else is a big ball of dirt? You and me, right? like we're just a big, ugly, biological ball of nothing that has been uniquely designed with a fingerprint of God to reflect something in our life. The question is, what are you reflecting? We all reflect something, guys. We all reflect something. What are you reflecting? Are you, are you able to bring your mess and reflect your mess so that the people can see the grace of God at work in you? Or are you just reflecting you? Is it just small and gives off nothing? A lot of times people come into church, again, in this fake it till you make it culture, we talk about reflecting things. and So a lot of times, sometimes people don't know what to do with their mess and they begin to justify it, or they minimize it, or they glorify it. And none of those work. Justifying your sin and past mistakes don't work to bring you the healing that you need from God. Minimizing your mess and your sin doesn't work because just playing it down like it isn't that big a deal... Might help you manage it better, but it does not bring and reflect anything about the grace of God at work in your life. And Lord knows, you do not glorify the sin in your life. You do not praise it. You do not give it the stamp of approval because God certainly doesn't either. Which is why this is so much easier for us to manage. And guys, the church is filled. I'm losing pieces of mirror. I'm losing pieces of me over here. That's all right. The church is filled with this. With Christians who reflect nothing. They know a few of the words, though. They know some of the language. But there's no power there. And so, we're called to beware. We're called to to watch out. And as we deal with each other's mess, to be careful that we... We understand the grace of God. Here's how the writer of Hebrews charges us and challenges us. He says, I want you to work at living at peace with everyone. Okay, this takes effort. This takes intentionality. And I want you to work at living at a holy life, right? Doing the things he's called us to do. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And then he says this, I want you to look after each other so that no one fails, nobody fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out, but no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt many. Again, the message paraphrase. I love the the way he, he, he puts this very, as a summary, he says, he says, keep a sharp eye for weeds of bitter discontent that shoot up. Watch out for weeds of bitter discontent. Because a thistle or two going to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time, right? Now, now, I know it's an interesting question. Why in the world would anybody have to make sure that people are receiving the, the grace of God? Why would we have to make sure that there's no poisonous root of bitterness that comes up in the church? Well, we talked about this last week. When we try to balance grace and truth, when we try to manage it ourselves, we have a hard time making sure that the fullness of grace can play out in the people that need the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth in their life. I shared with our LeaderLink um, team, uh, this is about three weeks ago, our LeaderLink, our our leaders in our church uh, had a meeting, and I shared a video testimony with them. And I shared this testimony of a transgender man who was sharing with their church what was going on, being real, bringing their mess to the table, and sharing what was going on in their life. And I asked, I mean, it's one of those great testimonies, you know, you see it and you're like, you get to the end, you're like, Amen, that's awesome, so great. But I asked our leaders to pay attention to the time, the time frame that was mentioned in this video. And so, we go to li- watch this testimony of this transgender man who, who again came to this church, and I mean it was a great testimony. You know, she she was coming, she was going back to her original sort of biological identity as a as a woman, and had gotten off testosterone, and had come to this church, and had been in a life group with people, and had you know talked with people leaders and talked with pastors, and they weren't all easy conversations; they were hard conversations. But you know, she eventually came to this point. And you, you watch one of those videos, and you're just like, oh, it's so great. But then when I asked the leaders, I said, I mean, right, right away, because they picked up on it. They were like, well, the person was saved for three years. They, they had come to, they, Their salvation was about three years in process. And for the first 18 months or so, she would go share with all the other transgenders in her life that the unfailing love of God was there and available for them. And that's it. They didn't have to change nothing. That God loves transgender people. I mean, they, you know, this person was on a mission to let people know that God loves transgender people. And guess what? That's not wrong. God loves transgender like, like He loves you. His unfailing love is there for you. But it was when she came to this church in the front row, worshiping every single week, in small group, discussing things, praying, growing closer to God, that she began to take steps in understanding and what God was asking her to do and calling her to do. And that was 18 months. And I asked our leadership, I said, hey, do you think Journey could handle a transgender man worshiping in our front row? Like, do you think Journey can, can be trusted to be Jesus to someone who brings their mess in like that? And honestly, I, I had to answer for our leaders. I was like, I, I don't know. I can't answer that fully. I, li- I would like to think that as a church, we continue to, to focus on truth. We want to be examples of living out the fullness of grace and truth. But at the end of the day, I looked at our leaders and I said, I can't guarantee that everybody in the church is going to respond that way. That every parent is going to want to have a conversation with their kid about the transgender man who's coming to church, saying amen in the sermon, Worshipping, so when Paul says, "I want you to make sure that everybody gets grace," he, he's really giving you the warning that there's no there's no discontent that comes up because what happens in church is we're we're okay to give you grace on your drinking problem, but not on your same sex attraction. You gotta you gotta nip that and solve that. We're okay to give you grace, you know, on your marriage that's struggling. But if you get divorced, it'd be a whole lot easier if one of you went to another church because we can't handle the messiness of, you know, a divorced couple splitting services. And, you know, that's just too messy. So the only way to answer this question is for us to answer this question Can you be trusted to be Jesus with someone's messy? Can you be trusted? Not if you're only worried about this. Not if you're only worried about this. I guarantee you, again, we've, we've had tons of times where people have come in and left, and again, we've, we've created an open door for a lot of people to come to our church, and many don't stick around because we don't affirm, we don't, we don't do some of the things that people would love for us to do. But here's the reality. When I looked at that testimony, I was like, the only reason that happened is because there were people in the church that were doing this. There were people in that church doing this, willing for people to see their messy. And more than that, willing to see God and God's grace at work in their mess so that other people could feel free to bring their mess. And I I want you to see it does work in this order. I'm going to pull that verse back up as we close out. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I've asked them to 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 lead us in worship here um, at the end of the service. But when the veil is removed, two things get to happen, right? We get to see and experience God ourselves everything we talked about last week, we get to see how God sees us. We get to see how God deals with our mess. We get to see the grace of God at work in our mess. We get to see and experience being the holy ones and saints of God, the sons and daughters of of God, co-heirs with Christ. We get to see and experience this fully. But the reason we get to experience it fully, the reason the veil was removed is not just for us, but so that we could reflect because we're his ambassadors. We are reflecting this back to the world around us. I asked the, the team, and I want to just let us, I'm going to pray, but we're, we're going to sing this song. I want the words to, to speak to you. We're going to sing it together. Even if you don't know the words, it's okay, just stand. Let the, let the words kind of come around you. But this is one of those songs that I just believe has the power to, to help us in this time, to create some space so that we can honestly answer that question for ourselves. Can we be trusted to be Jesus with someone else's messy? To speak the name of Jesus over addictions and depression, over all the messy that that comes so easily into our life, are we willing to embody that as a church and as individuals? Let's pray together and then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father. Number one, there's absolutely no way that we can can be vulnerable and share the true reflection of our mess and our messy with anyone else because um, unless you, as your Spirit, gives us the power to do so. So God, I'm praying that you would just just give us your grace to such a degree that we even today would make that call, would have that conversation, would begin the process of just just being real with the people in our lives. Sharing our messy. Letting others be messy and share theirs with us so that we can be and reflect Jesus to them. So that we can speak Jesus in our families, in our communities, in our life. It's only by your grace and it's only by your Holy Spirit that we can do this. So we are just praying today now that you empower us to bring our mess and to help as we are Jesus to others. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.